Well, thank you for uh, coming to join us. And uh, as we've been going through the book of Philippians, I've really been enjoying our time as we've been going through God's Word and going through the book of Philippians, and we're going to do that today. Um, before we do that, I wanted to let you know that we started our Be Free class uh, last Wednesday. It went very well, and it's not too late. If you wanted to sign up and to be a part of the Be Free class, whether in Zoom or in person, uh, you can click onto uh, this QR code, and you can register, uh, and you can pick a book up from me after service as well if you wanted to do that. Uh, it's been a really great time so far, and I'm really excited for what the Lord has for us to really experience more freedom and being free from kind of the weight that the world puts on ourselves and that we put on ourselves as well about performance and what other people think. So I encourage you to come out for that. Well, we're going to start and we're going to continue with our book uh, series through the book of Philippians, like I mentioned, and we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. So chapter uh, verse 4 is what we looked at last time, but it's kind of connected to this passage as well. So uh, verse 4 said, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Okay, so we want to keep this, these verses in mind when we look at this next section because it's going to connect together. Verse 6 is one that I've actually memorized and looked at many, 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 many times dealing with anxiousness. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Okay, so it's you've been to church for a while, you maybe have seen this verse, uh, you maybe even memorized this verse, I know I have, and it's been helpful. It's been helpful throughout the years in my Christian life of dealing with anxiousness, dealing with things when I feel anxiety and worry and all of those different things. This verse, God used. God used this verse to really kind of give me comfort during that time and to help me focus. But really, when we look at this verse a little bit more closely, it actually has quite a bit of help for us in not just thinking about not being anxious, but how do we actually do that? And not only do we see that he's trying to address anxiousness, but he's trying to say that we should actually not be anxious at any time, right? This is kind of the flip of what we saw in verse 4, right, which it says to rejoice in the Lord always. That's the positive side. This is the negative side, which is, and do not be anxious about anything, right? Those are two sides of the same coin. This is what to do in verse 4, and this is what not to do in verse 6, okay? Those are two kind of sides of the same coin, okay? So this part where he says, do not be anxious about anything, just like when we talked about rejoice in all things, it's difficult. It's difficult when he adds the always and about anything, Right? It's not saying, like, rejoice sometimes, sometimes be joyful, sometimes rejoice in the Lord. No, he's saying rejoice in the Lord always. He's not saying, don't be anxious about the big things. Don't be anxious about, you know, this, or the little things. Don't be anxious about those things. He's saying, don't be anxious about anything. He's setting the bar really high when he says, we're going to rejoice in the Lord always, and we're not going to be anxious about anything, okay? We need to keep in mind when we see that Paul writing this, he's writing this from where? He's writing this from prison, right? So he's not writing this from like a really uh, situational sign where he's like 
footloose and fancy free and he's got nothing wrong in his life, he's actually writing this from prison when he's writing verse 4 and verse 6. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Like me right now, I'm rejoicing in prison. Do not be anxious about any situation like my situation that I'm in right now, that I'm in prison, that I'm in chains, that I have my freedom taken away from me. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, so this is the bar that, that God sets for us. Now we want to look at how do, how do we do that? How do we do that? Okay, so let's look at the rest of the, of the verse. He says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, there's some things in this verse that seem like logical to kind of make sense, right? That when we're anxious, that we should pray and that we should petition, that we should present our request to God, that when we're anxious about something, we should let God know about it. We should share his, our heart with him, that we should let him know the things that are on our mind, the things that we're worrying about, the things that we're anxious about, that that's appropriate and that makes sense, that that's logical, that when we're feeling anxious, that we should tell God about it because he's something that, someone that can do something about it. Right? But the part that doesn't make sense to me is the part that's smack in the middle. He says, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, why does that stand out to me? Because in verse 6, he's writing up to people who are anxious. Like he is. He's in an anxious situation where he's in prison. He's writing to people in church that are experiencing anxiousness, that are in situations that are difficult. So why this sticks out to me is, what do you have to be thankful for? When you're in this situation that feels very anxiety-filled and worry-filled and very heavy, what do you have to be thankful for? The other part I get, prayer, petition, making your request to God, making your request known to God, that part I get. You have plenty to tell him, right? You're in, a, you're in a, terrible, a terrible situation. You're going through difficulties. You're going through conflict. You're going through things that you're wrestling with. That I understand. There's plenty to tell God about in that situation. But what do we have to be thankful for we're in, when we're in that kind of place? Well, I think the answer is in the previous verse, like we talked about. When we're rejoicing always and we're being lending our gentleness and they'll be evident to all because the Lord is near. Verse 5 is kind of the key for both verse 4 and verse, verse 6. It's kind of the glue that puts them together. How do we rejoice in the Lord always? We have to know that our rejoicing is in the Lord, that he is near. How do we not be anxious in any situation? How are we thankful in those kind of situations? We have to know that the Lord is near. We have to know that the Lord is in the middle of our difficulty, in the middle of our situation, in the middle of our storm, in the middle of our anxiousness, in the middle of our worry. Because when you look at your circumstances, you don't see that. You don't think that. You don't feel that. But this is where we have to demonstrate our faith and our belief and make a declaration in thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that you're present here and missed my difficult time. 
Thank you that you're with me and that you're here in the middle of the storm. Thank you that you see me, that you see all my difficult situations. You know and feel and experience all the pain and the hardship that I'm going through. You feel the anxiety. You feel the worry. You understand those things. And feeling those things are okay. Feeling those things are not a problem. It's actually when we start adopting them and engaging them and really accepting them and owning them, that's the problem. Feeling anxious is not the problem, but it's allowing ourselves to engage it. This is where we need the Lord to come in. This is where we need the Lord to come and to show his presence. And like I said, the situation won't scream that God is there. When you're looking at your circumstances and that all things are going wrong, that's not going to highlight and say, God is here right now. But this is where we need to look at verse 6 and say, but I know he is. But I know he is. I gave that analogy a while ago when I talked about like uh, the weather. And I talked about when it's really cloudy and really like gloomy and you can't see the sun. And remember I was saying that on a cloudy, gloomy day, the sun is exactly the same as it is on a day like today. When it's no clouds and the sun, sun is shining, it's exactly the same. Just because the clouds are in the sky, it doesn't mean that the sun is not present. It doesn't mean that the sun is not near. And I think that's a helpful illustration. It's only because we can't see it, but we still know it's there. Just like on a cloudy day, when we look at all the clouds and the gray and the rain or whatever, and we can't see the sun, we still know the sun is there. If we stop and think about it, we still know the sun is there. When we're going through anxious times, when our situation is very uh, heavy on us and weighs on us and we are full of anxiousness and worry, we still know the sun is there. We still know Jesus is there. We still know he's present, and we need to be thankful. Because I think thanksgiving is the key to verse 6. Because there's plenty of times when I've been telling the Lord and crying out and, and telling him all of my anxious feelings and, and telling the Lord about all my anxious thoughts and my situations and asking the Lord to come and to change it and to deliver me. And, think, and I've prayed all those prayers over and over and over again, and nothing's really changed on the outside or on the inside. But when things have changed is when I recognize the Lord, and in step of faith, I pray a prayer of thanksgiving then something does change. Maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. Something happens on the inside when I pray a prayer of thanksgiving. I say, Lord, I know that you're here with me, even though I don't feel it, even though the clouds are in the sky so I can't see it. I know you're here, and so I'm going to praise you. I'm going to thank you. I'm going to thank you that you're here with me. That breaks something. That breaks the anxiousness that has a hold on you. That breaks the anxious thoughts that you can't get away from, that you are up at night thinking about and worrying about, that you wake up at 3 in the morning and you're thinking about. It breaks that. It breaks that. So do we want to have prayer and petition? Yes, we want to have prayer and petition. Do we want to make our requests to known to God? Of course we do. Of course we want to share that. But to me, the key element when we do that is with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving will add the power to those prayers. It will really break the hold that anxiousness has on you because we need it. When we do verse 6, we experience what 
Paul says this in verse 7, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think all of us have experienced this at one time or another, is that we've had peace that goes beyond our understanding, that just doesn't make any sense. Like we said, that our circumstances, like Paul is writing here in prison, our circumstances on the outside, it doesn't look like it's very peaceful. It doesn't look like it has any joy in it. It doesn't have, look like it has any hope in it. But yet we have peace. You know, it's interesting. I remember um, they had this art contest. And this art contest, they had gathered, like, all these local artists from the area. And their, their assignment was, I want you to depict peace, right? I want you to paint a portrait uh, that kind of demonstrates what you think peace is, okay? So all the artists, they were like, you know, drawing on their canvases, and they were like painting and different stuff like that, and then um, it's interesting because of the one that won. So you, they looked at all the different paintings and the ones that they had different rankings, right, in the places, and some of them, you know, had like the meadows and like the, the green grass and like sound of music, the hills are alive kind of thing. Like some of them look like that, but you know the one that won? The one that won had a man that was holding a baby and there was this huge like thunderstorm around, uh, around the man. And it was like this huge like, storm and then the baby was asleep in the father's arms. That's the painting that won. And I think that's a good picture of Philippians 4, 7. It's peace that goes beyond understanding. It's peace in the middle of the storm. If you remember that story when Jesus and his disciples, they kind of go and they're trying to cross the, the, the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and then while they go across, there's a huge storm that comes, right? And the huge storm is so violent that the, the trained fishermen, they're afraid for his life. So it's not something small. It's something like huge storm. Right? And then they're afraid for their life. They think they're going to die. And so if you're familiar with the story, what do they do? They go find Jesus. And when they find Jesus, what's happening? He's asleep. He's asleep. And they wake him up and say, don't you care that we're about to die? Is what, he tells, what the disciples tell Jesus. And what does Jesus say to them? You of little faith. Now, why does he say that to them? Why does he say, you have little faith, when there's a huge storm there, when there's a storm so big that these trained fishermen who make their living on the water, who make their living in a boat, that they've come across all kinds of weather, all kinds of things, it's big enough to make them really afraid of thinking they're going to die. Why does he tell them, you have little faith? That, to me, it's not little faith. To me, when I look at that situation, they have every reason to be afraid. Like, wouldn't you be afraid? Wouldn't any normal person be afraid? Then why is Jesus saying, you have little faith? He's saying, you have little faith because faith doesn't have to deal with the external circumstances. Faith has to do with the inside. It says, even though there's a storm, that you have peace. And that's what he releases. He has peace. That's why he's asleep. So what does he speak when he comes out? He says to the storm, peace. And then it's still. The internal peace is greater than the external situation. The internal peace that Jesus was carrying. He spoke out into the winds and the waves. And what happened? They were stilled. He's showing that the internal peace that we have is greater, is stronger, that's more powerful than the situation and the storm that we're experiencing. 
peace that goes beyond understanding. This peace is powerful. And this peace, it says in verse 7, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that's very curious to me. Why does Paul say that this peace is going to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus unless our hearts and our minds are under attack? Does that make sense? Like, why does he say that our hearts and our minds need guarding and that the peace of God will, will guard our hearts unless our hearts and our mind are under attack? If you think about this situation, what are they under attack from? It's under attack by all the things that bring in you anxiousness. All the things that are creating anxiety and worry in your life are attacking you. And in my mind, they're trying to steal away this. They're trying to steal away your peace and joy. That's where we're under attack. That's where the enemy and the world and our situation our circumstances, we come under attack. They're trying to steal our joy and our peace. Now, it's interesting when I think about this, I don't know why, but I've, I had this image of like a mother bear protecting their cubs, okay? And so I was actually just kind of Googling that and reading that, and I was reading about how like the mama bear just has this like internal instinct, you know, and we kind of use that like, oh, their mama bear is kind of coming out, like when, they're, when the mom is like super protective of their kids, right? But I was reading about that and that there's this instinct within them that really rises up that the mama bear, even though there's a male bear that would want to come and to attack there, and the male bear is significantly bigger and stronger than the female bear, the female bear will overcome it and will attack it and to injure it and to make it run away. And I was thinking, yeah, I've seen moms like that, right? <laughs> you know, where they rise up and say, no, 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 you're not going to do that to my children, right? But I had this image of the mama bear really rising up. And it's interesting because I had read that 70% of all bear attacks against humans are involved with a mom protecting their cubs, right? In general, they don't want to attack, attack humans, right? But they will if they feel like their children are under attack. And when I was asking the Lord, why did you bring that to mind? I think he was saying, because this is how we need to be with our peace and joy. We need to protect it. God is the one who gives it. Our job is to protect it. It's God's job to give the peace. It's God's job to give the joy. It's God's job to show his presence. It's God's job to do that. Our job is to protect it. And this is a very different way of viewing this anxiousness, this passage in verses 6 and 7, right? When we're thinking about anxious things and anxious things like things that you feel like you need to battle, but really the battle is they're trying to steal away your peace and joy. So when you look at the situations that are going on around you, you need to be like the mama bear and say, no, you're not going to come steal my peace and joy, right? This is from the Lord. This is what the Lord wants me to experience is joy and peace. And you're trying to steal that from me. No. We should say, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to come and steal away the Lord's joy and the Lord's peace in my life. And I think that's the way we need to view anxiousness and all those things that, that bring those kind of feelings. We need to be like the mama bear that comes, rises up. No, we need to protect our joy and our peace. Paul finishes this, this section and says, finally, brothers and sisters. It's interesting because I pointed out the start of chapter three, halfway through the book, he said the same thing. Finally, he's like concluding, finally, uh, a chapter and a half later, he's saying it again. Finally, 
Brothers and sisters, he's kind of concluding here. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whenever you, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the peace and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so he's giving this exhortation saying, I'm practicing this right now. Like we said, in prison, I'm practicing what I'm writing to you. Like, look at me. Look at how I'm practicing these things. I, it's, not just, it's not just my words, right? And this is what he says. That you need to think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Now, this is really important, right? Because, you know, we talked about the anxiousness and we talked about, you know, the rejoicing always. This is, this is connected to that. This is going to be helpful for us is if we focus our mind and focus our attention on these things. Okay, if you remember this stat, I gave this statistic a little while ago. It says, you need five positive words to counteract one negative. Okay, you remember me sharing this statistic with you? Okay, and this is kind of on the conservative end. I've seen it like higher, like seven or eight, but this is the one I saw. There's, you need five positive words to counteract one negative word spoken to you. Okay, and this was like, kind of convicting of me as a parent, like thinking about how many words I say to my kids and thinking like, how many negative words do I say to my kids? Well, I better really step up my game and saying something positive, right? If it's five to one is the ratio. But it's interesting because this kind of describes our human mindset, right? And our uh, thinking that we give so much more weight to the negative than we do to the positive. Every time we get a negative comment, it is five times bigger than a positive comment we receive. It takes five times more of a positive thing to counteract one negative thing. One comment from your supervisor. One comment from your mom. One comment from your friend. One comment from this other person with a situation. One negative thing, you need five things, positive things, to counteract that. Now, what does this say? What does this say to me? Well, it says, one, we give too much weight to the negative. That's the first thing it says to me. We give too much weight to the negative. We give the negative way more power, way more weight than it actually deserves. And that needs to change. But on the flip side is, we need to spend more energy in the positive. We need to spend more energy focusing on what verse 8 says, focusing on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, whatever is lovely, whatever is praiseworthy. We need to be thinking about those things. If this is true, if we need this much, think about how much negativity we face all the time. Think about all the negativity in this world, in our workplace, and whenever you turn on the, on the news or look at social media, think about how much negativity you get on a daily basis. We need to focus in on the goodness of God, on those things that Paul talks about in Philippians 4, 8. 
anything is excellent or praiseworthy. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Give that your attention. Let that be your focus. Let that drive you instead of the negative things driving you all the time. I feel like because we have so much negative, we're constantly reacting to the negative things. We're constantly on guard and trying to react to negative behavior, negative situations, negative circumstances, all these different things. We keep reacting to those things. And Paul is saying, stop reacting to those things. Instead, like we've been talking about, replace it. Stop trying to attack the negative things and replace it. Replace it with the positive. Focus your attention on where God is and what he's doing. Focus your attention, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. Let that consume your thinking. Now, one good thing is, is I think that when we kind of overweight the negative, I think we underweight, underweight or underestimate the positive. God's truth can overcome a lot more than five to one, a lot more, right? You don't have to get, like, if you think about the negative comments, if you get, like, you know, five, you know, negative comments, you don't need, like, a hundred positive comments. You need one word from the Lord. One word from the Lord can overcome all of those, right? This is like human thinking, right? This is like human words that's five to one. That's not true with God's word. But that's why it's important. We need to be in God's word. You have to be. You have to be. But when you are, it will overcome this. It will overcome this. Have you ever heard of this term? G-I-G-O? Gigo? Have you ever heard of that? Okay, this is actually a term they use in computer science. Okay, this is a computer science term. It's an acronym. It means garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. So in computer science, they use this term, G-I-G-O, to describe like the data that they get. If you have garbage, if you use like faulty data that makes no sense, that it's not true, then whatever you program is going to produce garbage. It's going to produce nonsense. It's not going to make any sense. Garbage in, garbage out. If that's all we're getting is garbage, guess what's going to come out of our life? Guess what kind of fruit is going to come out of our life? It's garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. We need to put more of God's truth in, his word in, his presence in, his truth in, and that will come out. So I pray that, you know, you look at the G-I-G-O and realize that's not what we want. We don't want that. We don't want that. We want to experience more of God and what he brings and focus our attention on that, on the goodness and faithfulness of God. So why don't we pray? So, Lord, I'm thankful for this message. I'm thankful for the truth that your desire for us is to rejoice rejoice always and to not be anxious about anything this is your heart for us this is your desire for us this is what you want to be in more in our experience thank you that you give tangible ways for us to do that to be thankful to focus on you to focus on your goodness to focus on your presence to have more of that instead of the garbage come in 
So thank you, Lord. I pray that your spirit would keep on showing us and keep us drawing us close to you to experience more of that in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.